Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. David Armstrong, President of St. Thomas University, as our guest. President Armstrong will be talking about Title IX, its origin, evolution, and impact. Welcome to the Plexus Podcast. We're here with President David Armstrong, uh, President of St. Thomas University. And today we're going to focus on Title IX. President Armstrong, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Brad. How are you? I'm doing very well. So, so let's jump right in. Let's talk about, let's talk about Title IX. Um, when was it implemented? And, and what was the goal? Let's start there. Absolutely. So uh, the U.S. Department of Education, Office for Civil Rights, uh, they enforce, among other statutes, Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972. And Title IX protects people from discrimination based on sex, meaning male, female, gender, in education programs or activities that receive federal financial assistance. So in 72, you know, back in the late 60s and 70s, people were looking at the educational offerings that were happening in grade school and high school, middle school, high school, college, and saying, hey, listen, you can't discriminate your budget, your uh, efforts based on sex. So mainly what was happening is, is women were being shorted, okay, in educational opportunities. Most people, and, and, and let me read the law as it's stated, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. That's the key, okay? If you receive no federal financial assistance, like a, a college that I knew very well when I worked in Pennsylvania, Grove City, okay, they have their own individual funding. They collect. They take no federal funding. Well, then they don't have to worry about Title IX, okay? And so, uh, and other federal regulations that most of us who receive federal funding through the student or directly, you know, like state schools receive it directly, we receive it through the student. Um, therefore, we receive financial federal uh, uh, federal financial aid assistance. And so we have to abide by certain aspects of, of these rules and regulations. So um, back then, obviously, people were being discriminated against. And so, and most people know Title IX by the athletic side. Okay. Sure. But that was not the original intent of the law. That was not the biggest concern of the law at the time. But then people who were seeing the disparity in athletics, especially at the college level of the funding for male athletics versus female athletics, started using Title IX. And so that's how most people know about Title IX is through the athletic side. But nowadays, especially in higher education, Title IX is more about campus safety, sexual assault, sexual violence, and they've applied that to that. And, and I could tell you, how I know that and why, and it'll be a very interesting story. So, well, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, what has been your involvement, you know, from a legal, you know, and or institutional standpoint regarding Title IX? Sure. So, uh, I, I want to be a lawyer my whole life and uh, graduated law school and decided to chuck three legal offers and go become a college football coach for nothing. I was a volunteer coach. I can still hear my mother screaming at me today. And, um, <laughs> 
I wanted to follow my passion. And uh, so I got into and, and really, I found out later that my passion really wasn't as much football as much as I enjoyed it, but education, transforming lives. And so when I was a dean of admissions at Notre Dame College in Cleveland, after I had a stint as a head football coach, uh, Teal College in Greenville, PA, um, we had a situation where we had a creep on campus, okay? But we had some internal people, our security force, our police officers, who were upset that we were growing and they weren't getting paid more or given cars or all. It was just this crazy situation. And they took a creep and turned him into a six-time rapist, which was not true. Uh, again, he was a creep. Uh, and got the local prosecutor involved, called the federal government, and um, the Gene Cleary Act. Okay, so a lot of people mm -hmm. don't know the Gene Cleary Act. Uh, Gene Cleary was a young lady who in 1986 at Lehigh University was raped and murdered in her dorm room. And the parents found out later that there were all kinds of people that have come, came in. To, they didn't lock the doors correctly. People were coming in and getting assaulted. And so they fought really hard in their foundation to have this Gene Cleary Act uh, uh, put in by Congress, which said that colleges and universities have to disclose their criminal or what were called Cleary statistics. OK. And I said this at a at a major talk one time. I said, you know, it sounds to me like the Title IX people were upset that they weren't getting paid attention to. And mm -hmm. the Cleary people were upset that they were being attention, paid attention to. And they got together at a conference and said, you know what, we're not being paid attention to. What if we uh, combine forces? And I used to say that as a joke, half a joke. And I found out later from someone uh, high up in the uh, Department of Education said, no, that's kind of what happened. And so that was very interesting. And um, but what happened was, is the confluence of Title IX for gender discrimination, OK, mm -hmm. sex discrimination and campus safety came together at Notre, Little Notre Dame College in Cleveland. And wow. Little Notre Dame College in Cleveland, my president said, I don't know what's going on here right now, but why don't you navigate us through this? Because you have the law degree. You worked as a prosecutor while you were in law school. You know how you can do that. Little did I know, I always say the practice of law is like the Godfather movie for me. Okay. It sucked me back in. So I wanted away from a career in law and coaching and teaching and administration and the legal stuff uh, drug me back in. What happened then is I navigated Notre Dame College and I love, you know, typical small Catholic college. My boss says, hey, listen, I'm going to pay for you to get your license active. I'm not going to pay you to do the job, but I'm going to pay you to get your license active and we'll see what happens. So I was a, ended up being a VP for admissions, VP for development, VP of the whole whole college, and never got paid for the work that we did, which was two criminal trials, two civil trials, wow. two Department of Education investigations, and an NLRB action when we let go of our police force. And so the next thing you know, here I am again, running away from career and law. Next thing you know, I right. am the Title IX campus safety person in the country. And so... Joe Biden himself in that big summit in 2010 when he was at the University of Maryland, the global summit on Title IX and campus safety, called me and Brian Emerson, who's now at Villa Maria College in uh, Buffalo, and he was my dean of students at the time. He, he called us the heroes of Title IX policy and procedure uh, because our policy and procedures were the first ones that combined uh, the campus uh, safety and Title IX. And so... Harvard, Yale was calling, everybody was calling us to get our policies. And we were the first ones to sign a voluntary resolution agreement with Eastern Michigan, which 
upset me greatly because I wanted to pull back my voluntary resolution agreement because at Eastern Michigan, they had a rape murder on campus that they hid that the young lady was raped before she was after even they hid it and she was buried and her parents didn't even know that she was raped. And so a lot of people Mm -hmm. got let go. And, and I said, we had a creep on campus, but we didn't have that, but yet they combined us and we were the first ones to have a voluntary resolution agreement, which did not exist. I'm the one that created that because I said I would not sign a resolution agreement unless it was voluntary. Now there's over 2000 colleges and universities out of the you know, almost 50% that are on that list of voluntary resolution agreements as it pertains to Title IX. So that's the kind of long story of my experience. And so I tell people all the time, I have two great passions in my life to make sure that small faith-based liberal arts institutions not only thrive, but not only survive, but thrive. And number two, is make sure no college goes through what we went through at Notre Dame College. And so I, I will go anywhere, speak anywhere, train anywhere to make sure that these things don't happen. Absolutely. Well, and and do you feel that, uh, you know, faith-based schools can stay true to their missions while abiding by Title IX? Not as it's currently stated. Okay. And so that is going to be a bone of contention here, which, you know, the comments on the Biden regulations uh, is going to be a big problem, which I'll, I'll talk about. So sure. when I present on Title IX, I always do it in the Clint Eastwood way, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. And you can't talk about the Biden regulations without talking about the Trump era. Okay. So sure. you had George W. Bush, coming through with the first regulations, then the Obama administration coming through and making things stronger, which we had to live through at Notre Dame College in Cleveland at the time. And then you had the Trump administration, DeVos, come in with a a new angle, and then now you have the Biden. So if you go back to the um, Trump-DeVos, they actually did some really good things in their Title IX legislation. Now, the advocates were all up in arms going crazy. Well, that's because the, the balance of justice in Title IX was totally on the accuser, not the accused. And so that became a, uh, a cause celebre of the, of the um, more conservative and the Republicans that, hey, listen, these people deserve their rights, too. And something changed with a friend of mine, S. Daniel Carter, who used to be the head of the Gene Cleary uh, Act, uh, the foundation and who was a heck of an advocate. I, I give him all the respect in the world for that. But I was speaking one time and he was in the audience and I said, I know that I have thrown innocent young men out of school following the DOEs, because at the time DOE was at our school, and doing what they said I had to do. And I know that they're innocent, but I had to kick them out. And the next year he came back to that conference and said, you know, that has haunted me. And S. Daniel became a lot more balanced in how he viewed, you know, what he was trying to do as an advocate. And so, and that's my favorite word since the 16th election, balance. And so many times we have a new administration and the balance goes this way and the balance goes that way. So under the DeVos, the good was, is they added deliberate indifference standard and the addition of actual knowledge. Because under the Obama administration, Title IX was should know or should have known. That was the standard we had to live by. Well, they went back and said, no, the school, the administration must have actual knowledge of any type of discrimination, okay, before we're going to hold them accountable for that, okay? And they added new protections for the university response. They created equity provisions for both parties 
included but not limited to written notices to parties about allegations, meeting times, findings, and rights in the process. That was not the case under the Obama and uh, Bush uh, area. Very clear definitions of covered conduct, which was excellent because everything was too wide open before. Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of guidance to the interplay between Title IX and Title VII investigations, while also creating uniform policy and process for employees and students. And they had the addition of this was the key thing that the DeVos and Trump administration did is they brought back the ability to have more leeway for the institution for informal resolution options, such as mediation, restorative justice, and educational options. That was the biggest thing for me, is that we can't forget that even though we're dealing with the very tough situations, we are still educational institutions. We are not criminal courts. We are not, you know, correctional institutions where we're punishing people. We are about education. And under the Obama administration, they took that away. We had to do the hearings. We had to do uh, adversarial hearings. We had to do, you know, and it that I didn't like. And so they brought some sanity back to that. They also asked for increased training. The bad, though, under the Trump administration, DeVos administration, is they over-legalized and over-judicialized the accused side. Well, they're not being protected. So we're going to create literally, in their language, they created pseudo-court system that we were going to have to run at colleges. And I fought that very hard at the time. Uh, and I understand why people wanted it, but it was not good. And there's a lot more things in the bad that happened in there, too, because uh, we felt that there'd be more, you know, police had to be involved right away. Again, not less educational. Uh, we felt that that would have a chilling effect on reporting and things like that. But the biggest problem, the ugly, we get to the ugly of the of the Trump uh, administration, DeVos, is they said, this is very important, that private colleges had to apply due process to the accused or uh, the respondent. That's another way, nicer way to say it, complainant, respondent, okay, instead of accused, uh, accuser and accused. Uh, respond, uh, complainant and respondent. So the respondent, every school had to provide due process. Well, here's the problem. Private schools don't have to provide due process. If you choose to, then you have to do it. But if not, the law has clearly stated for years, the courts have clearly stated Private schools only have two obligations when it comes to their policies and procedures. Number one is that they've given the person's notice of what the policies and procedures are. And number two, that they have followed their policies and procedures. So terms like free speech and equal protection under the law and due process, we don't have those. And I totally recommend any president out there who is a private school president, you better look at your policies and procedures. If you have those terms in your policy procedures, then you are acting as a state actor like the state universities have to do, and you have to follow every step of due process and equal protection laws and free speech. Okay? You know, for us, we're a Catholic university. So we follow the Catholic intellectual tradition as a as theoretical, okay? But if there are certain things that people are going to say against the Catholic church, we're not going to buy into that. Okay? And we have a right to limit that. Okay? And of course, at a state school, they would not be able to, although you see safe spaces created and things like that and hate speech. And again, this is, I know people are going to freak out when they hear this. There's no such thing as hate speech. Okay. There's only speech. And so to say that speech is hateful, so it needs to be limited, you know, Justice Blackman and Justice Hugo Black would all say, 
Absolutely not. You know, uh, but anyways, I'm, I'm getting off, off the page here, but that was the ugly part of the, of the Trump administration. So um, let's get to the Biden regulations. OK. Um, so the good, the bad and the ugly. OK, overall. Uh, we always said that the, the, the DeVos administration brought in some much needed balance for the respondents. However, several areas became a, a burden on private college. We we're going to have to create a whole judicial system, literally, on our campuses. The good of the Biden is responsible employees are back. What Under the DeVos uh, regulations, they said that not everyone had to be trained and not everyone had a responsibility to report. I didn't agree with that. I continued through the time of that administration's uh, guidance to continue to train everyone. And our expectation as an institution was that everyone had to be educated and had to make uh, to, to respond and be a responsible employee. Under the Biden administration, any employee in an administrative teaching or advising role must once again report Title IX related incidents. And I think that's a good thing. Most schools like STU never remove that requirement from its duties and it makes a campus a safer place, we believe. Also, informational, informal resolution is back in play. So that's a good thing. They, they took that from the Trump, uh, the DeVos administration, the Biden administration kept that. Upon receipt of a report, Title IX coordinators are able to offer informal resolutions and even prior to filing a complaint. And I always tell this story. There was a time under the Biden administration when we were at Notre Dame College and we were really being tough on Title IX and campus safety, which is, again, a good thing. But we had students, boyfriend, girlfriend, have a bad night. This is exactly, a, this is a true story. And they literally were sprinting to the Title IX office because they knew whoever made the complaint, we had to kick the other person off campus immediately. Wow. And I had a boyfriend and a girlfriend literally sprinting to the Title IX office to see who could get there first. In the end, it was a boyfriend-girlfriend dispute that they were eventually able to solve. But once they made the complaint under the old regs, we had to go through the full process instead of an informal mediation, knowing that this is a boyfriend-girlfriend situation. And again, sometimes it's still you know a Title line violation or even rape, and then we call the police. But informal resolution is a good thing in an educational institution. Dr. Roth, who I worked with, who was the president of Notre Dame at the time, had a great line. He said, never in my wildest dreams, he'd been in education for almost 50 years, never in my wildest dreams that I, that I would ever uh, believe that my position at this college as a president would be uh, incumbent upon the sexual predilections of 18-year-olds. Mm. But that's what was going on. Also, live hearings are no longer a requirement. That was a requirement under uh, the DeVos that live hearings had to take place. And again, schools now have a choice. And this gets rid of the quasi-judicial system. So this is all good. Um, and it reestablishes the difference between public and private schools. So that was very good. So mm -hmm. um, the administration heard us on that issue instead of placing public requirements on private schools. So that was good. The decision maker in the case can now be a can be the same person as the coordinator or investigator, which was relieving the need. They were, again, under the DeVos administration, they were creating this whole bureaucracy, which, you know, the, we talk about, you know, Republican attitude of getting rid of red tape and bureaucracy. 
Well, the DeVos administration was going to create this whole quasi-judicial system, which would have been a lot more hiring, a lot more uh, bureau- bureaucracy. The bad. A lot more cost. Yeah, a lot more. Co- and that for smaller faith-based institutions that aren't getting state money and federal money and have all the money in the world, that would have been devastating. And so because we have a lot of people, I always say, small faith-based schools are survive and thrive on the backs of people. And so a lot of times they have two or three jobs. That's the way we do it. So the bad, and this is really bad in my opinion, the definition of sexual harassment has been greatly expanded. New additions include sex stereotypes, sex characteristics, sexual orientation, and gender identity. All of these pose potential issues for private and religious institutions. Previous guidance required a finding if the act was so severe and pervasive that it denied access to the educational program. That standard has now been lessened, which I, again, disagree with personally and and professionally, lessened to sufficiently severe to limit access. So you may not even be limiting access, access, but if someone feels that it's sufficiently severe to limit my access, and that is just, in my opinion, a bad road to go down. And so if you're totally expanding the definition of sexual harassment and then you're lessening the standard, mm-hmm. where are we going here? Right. And so, again, and, and, and again, I understand that there's going to be people that are going to think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I think dealing with it on a college campus, I really believe that you're stifling free speech. I believe that you're stifling a lot of uh, discussion and or humor. I mean, you know, let's say a comedian comes on campus and he says a sexual, think about this, a sex stereotype. And somebody in the audience says, I've been sexually harassed. Well, that's the whole point of comedy, right? Is stereotypes. Okay. I know people don't want to talk about that these days, but that's what comedy is. But again, uh, and it does not have to bar participation in the education program any longer. The ugly. The ugly, the toughest part. Schools must now address reports even if the complainant has left or is leaving school. That The DeVos administration got rid of that, which I agree with. This has the potential to have baseless reports filed against current students, and that I don't like. That's where that the balance of the respondent versus the complainant, we're going back to the complainant having a lot more power right, over right. the respondent. So that is a concern. Uh, regs prohibit a school from disciplining a party for a false statement. Now think about that. So you have a false statement, a false accusation. You go through the whole process. Most likely, kids going to get thrown out or suspended. Maybe ruin their lives. They they're gone, whatever. And then you find out that it was a false statement. Nothing you can do. Hmm. And again, I understand people will love that part uh, of a regulation. But as someone who's dealt with this for many, many years, I, I see that as, a, as a, a, you know, um, a tough road to hope. Uh, and again, this has the potential result in unjust findings in a matter since no repercussions can be built out for those making false claims. Now, here's an interesting thing, and I say it's ugly, is athletics is removed to undergo separate rulemaking, introducing more bureauc- bureaucracy and regulation interpretation for compliance offices. 
So athletics was always con considered a part of this, and we had to educate our whole athletic department and our student athletes on our rules and regs. They are now, under the Biden administration, saying that they're going to take athletics out and create a whole new policy and procedure for Title IX. Mm -hmm. Why or where they're coming up with that, I don't understand. Okay, because now that's going to create a whole new set that we have to train people on and or hire somebody that just can handle that because it's going to be different. So in conclusion, as with all changes, there are some good pieces and some pieces that are that deeper thought needs to put into. I recommend that people uh, you work with your Title IX offices on the questions below that the questions I'm going to give you when you start to have to implement this. Now, remember, it took three years to implement the DeVos administration guidance. So, you know, and then then we had the election. And then so now that got it changed. And so sadly, for those in this business, whatever election happens, I think these regs are going to be changed. And so you, you really have to stay on top of them. So number one is, here's the three questions. With the addition of sexual orientation, sex stereotypes, and gender identity, which the latest list I saw had like 52 new gender identities. Where does this position my school, especially if it's religious in nature? Number two, how is our process going to adjust to reflect the removal of a requirement for a live hearing to occur if you had that live hearing from the DeVos administration? Number three, what type of informal resolution processes are we going to offer? Uh, number four, how do we address false accusations? And number five, by removing athletics, what will rulemaking do to our athletics programs and the EADA reports? These are reports that we have to give uh, to the federal government on athletic uh, um, teams. So it's, as I always say, when it comes to Title IX, um, it's a quagmire, okay? And... But the only way, you know, the only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So you got to get in there. You got to learn the regs, go to seminars, uh, learn as much as you can, because, again, you don't want to be left holding the bag when an incident occurs at your campus. Get your policies and procedures in place. Be ready to go. Be ready for the changes and uh, so that you can handle these situations. Again, let's think about this. These are federal regulations. The most important thing is how do we educate our students and how do we keep our students safe? Okay. And how do we give an educated educational opportunity to everyone and not discriminate? And so we still got to remember what the ultimate goal is. Okay. As we're following all these regs and policies and procedures, always do what's best for the institution and the students and in and, and your community. Well, absolutely. Well, President Armstrong, I, I think we could talk for another couple hours on this uh, if we if we could. So I, I really appreciate your time very much and, and the education that you provided to our audience. Well, it's my pleasure. And like I said, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through uh, back in the day in uh, the 2000s, uh, 2005 to 2013 uh, at Notre Dame College. And so um, uh, anything I could do to help and anyone who wants to reach out to me, feel free. I'm more than happy to talk to you about it because, again, I just don't want anybody to have to go through that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. God bless. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.